Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul, Angeline, and today we're talking about making players learn the rules. Wow, that was a dramatic pause. A little bit dramatic. Yes. So, in my long years of running RPGs, <laughs> I have a lot of RPGs. I don't know if you noticed, Jolene. Uh, yeah, I noticed. The reasons why I have a lot of RPGs is because I like some of the ideas that I feel would be cool in the RPG to try to play. And I buy a book. I buy an RPG book. And I look at it. And at times, sometimes I try to convince my players to play in them. And sometimes I force them to play in them. Force is a good word. Right. And that, one, of, one of my first purchases was very much like that, uh, Space Opera. The only thing was is that there wasn't really that much of a push for for my for me to for me to get my players to play because they wanted to play and this is the game I was going to run. Mm-hmm. There was only four of us. There was me, Sip, Esteban, and Felipe for the most part. And then gradually, as like we started playing at the the club that my brother started at the Scout House, uh, as we grew up older, grew older, there was some peop- more people that were into got into our inner circle of RPGers. Jim played a little bit. The Blake brothers, a few of them. Then a few of the people. I got this very complicated game, Space Opera, very badly written rules, tons of typos, and they still played. We had a lot of fun. I, we played it for a long time. I kind of follow that same model. Every time I get an RPG, I try to convince my players to play. It's been hit or miss, right? So getting those players to play the game. So th- that's always been a very difficult thing to do sometimes is to get players to learn the rules. And after all these times of buying new games and trying to get the players to p- play in the game and learn the rules, we've I figured out a few things that could help people not make those mistakes. I think this question is asked because... A lot of times other GMs like you get excited about a game or somebody gets excited about a game. And I think there's a couple different scenarios, right? They've never played before and they want to play. They saw D&D on actual play and they're like, okay, I want to do this. And then someone goes and buys a book, reads it, learns the rules or learns the rules from watching the actual play or watching YouTube videos on what the rules are. Nowadays, yes. Yes. And then they get everybody together and start playing. Right. Not all the players have read the rules, I don't believe. No. Uh, Usually, unless it's something that, unless it's really something super exciting for everybody, only like one or two people will probably buy the rule book or the, sometimes it's a core book, sometimes it's a player's manual. So, but usually in my experience it's been one person who buys the rules and then they're disseminated in different ways when when you were younger and i was younger there wasn't the the internet where or google drive or easily available pdfs or computers so people had to like make copies or write down stuff borrow the book from each other yes there was a lot of photocopying going around back in Back, I'm talking like in the 80s. 
even in the nineties, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it, the rule books became so big that it was very hard to copy everything. You know, like for example, the original original D and D was these little pamphlet like books. Mm-hmm. So they were a little bit easier easier to copy. I wouldn't say it was easy because copying was kind of expensive for people back then. So teenage boys, yes. teenage girls, right? Copying something that's like 56 pages compared to like Shadowrun of 457 pages probably wouldn't get done too easily. So when new players or any players, I guess it depends. If they're all new players and the GM is new also, then they'd be learning together. Right. But if they're no, like their dad runs games or their uncle and... It's a, an experienced GM. It's a little bit different for helping the players to learn the rules because they can always sit down and have the first session be, okay, let's go ahead and play. Let me tell you first what's on your character sheet, right? how we play the game. And then if it's an experienced GM, they're going to explain to them. This is, these are the, the statistics. Uh, these are or your stats. These are your your skills and this is what happens and i'm thinking of D as the gateway game to all other gaming experiences i guess it could be the same with call of cthulhu or whatever the gm is experienced in right yes i think this is uh the hardest thing for a gm to do is to try to convey the rules especially if they're the only ones that have the rules or the book uh, this happens a lot when you run a convention game. Sometimes people have never played the game. And I know there's a little tick box on most times you're going to run a game at a convention that says, how much experience do the players need? Knowledge of the game. Right. Knowing how to play it. Beginner. Yeah. Right. And most of my games that I run, I always put beginners welcome, right? Because I don't play, I do run some complicated game system. I used to run space opera. And I try to make it as easy as as easy as I could to explain the rules in like ten minutes because I don't want to spend a lot of time explaining the rules. Which is quite a feat with space opera, right? So I, I developed a sheet that had like the main rules, like how to how to roll for a skill, how to shoot a gun, and uh, basically that's all you need to know or combat. And me and my actually my brother Felipe, he's the one that came up with the with the sheet and I liked it so I just used it and I kept using it and, I, and that's one way of doing something for your players to make it easier for them to digest the rules because a lot of people would fall asleep at a large information dump about the rules right for example uh I don't I can't think of any any example that I've done but nobody wants to listen to you drill around for like a half an hour about how to play the game so that's why I was saying you should, like, if they're new players, help them with a sheet is always good, but help them say, okay, let's let's go ahead and play a little bit and we'll learn as we go. But these are the most important things that you need to know. And you give them, this is, this is how you, this is the dice you roll and this is what happens. And right. we'll go from there. You do a little bit of an explanation and a lot of times you can just learn as you go. Right. And I think that's probably, for me, my experience, that's probably the best way to have new people who are wanting to learn the rules, especially if they're complicated, to 
be able to play. They don't have to know everything, obviously. They don't have to know how to do every little type of action or reaction. But they definitely need to know the basics. And I think you can explain the basics and they say, that's enough. You know, that's all you need to know. Anything else, we can just work it out as we play. And once you start playing, things start to make sense. Because when you're being explained, oh, when you roll to hit, you're going to roll a D20. And that make you know that makes sense. But then when you add like different rules, like attacks of opportunity or whatever, you know, you just leave those out and go, okay, when in this situation, this orc is running past you. He's trying to attack your partner. Did you want to get a free attack on that person? Right. You don't even you have to use this attack of opportunity jargon or anything like that. And the person goes, yeah, will, will there be a penalty? What can I do? No. Right. <laughs> you know, and so those kinds of uh, explanations are the best because the person is interested to know the information. But when you're just giving them information and they're, they may not even be interested in that or they may not be getting it because it's hard for people to under understand what a role-playing game is and they just might have a little bit of interest in what it is you don't want to turn off that interest you don't want to make those people go away because of a bad experience so for convention games or new ga- new players that's a good way to go by learn as you go versus okay i need you to read this 800 page book and then we're going to play not even 800 pages i mean it's hard for for people for getting my players to read 20 pages right it's it's a lot of information yeah it is and sometimes sometimes they're like oh here we go a new game and it all depends on the interest of the player when we thought about this this subject i was thinking you can't make a player learn the rules tell them okay this is the we're playing i can't think of anything right now we're gonna play shadow run here's the book we'll be we'll meet next week have read read the book make your character and then we'll go yeah, and you, even if you help them out going, well, you definitely need to r- read the rules on, on how to make a skill check and possibly combat. Yeah. Well, one, they're going to have to find those things in the book that they've never seen before and figure it out, right? <laughs> and I've, I've, I've said it before, and it's absolutely true. I read the combat, sec- combat session. Section. Section of, of Shadowrun like five times, and I was like, I don't even know what I read because it was just... Well, maybe it wasn't well written. I have no idea. But it, I, I wasn't grokking this idea of how this was supposed to flow. I've been playing D, D&D and other role-playing games for a long time. And the same thing happened when I was running, when I was reading the rules for The One Ring, the original, the first edition. I read the rules, and I thought I had it, and then, but the rules were so not very well uh, constructed in the sense that they weren't, all the rules for running the game weren't in one place. So you had to go to different places in the book and necessarily, and it wasn't necessarily well annotated, I guess is the word where you didn't know it didn't say it didn't have in parentheses, go to page 72 right. to see this. Right. And like when I got to combat, when it, it was funny because when I was running the game with a group that I convinced to play, we started combat. I go, where are the target numbers? Right. There's target numbers in that game, which you have to roll over to hit. And I'm like, I don't, where, where do you get that? And I'm looking through the book, and it has to do with stances, right? Yes. And it's a little chart, little box chart, and it tells you if you have this stance, you have this target number. And then I couldn't find it until another player goes, oh, it's in this it's in this stance chart. I go, oh, that's right. And it was really weird because I was looking in the combat section, and it talks about the different weapons and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh, 
it was it was but second edition is much better much better layout much easier to digest and the rules are just better put together even though it there's almost similar rules so that does happen when the rules kind of challenge the player uh, or the, the the reader and it makes it difficult to understand i remember running a a game in the kids room at a, a convention called celesticon uh, we were really deep into Pathfinder, the the boys, and that was the game to run. And that was the game to run. And since I was running for little kids, I had Ian, Augustine, and Alan, and Blaine were all helping me. And it was a very interesting experience because when you run for kids, they're not going to learn the rules, right? You just have to tell them this is what you do. And it was a rather large table because a bunch of kids wanted to play. So. Augustine, Alan, Ian, and, and Blaine were all sitting around, and each of them had a couple kids next to them. And when we got to any kind of combat or something, I go, just tell them what to roll, right? Just help them and make it up if it if it's too hard for them to understand. Because they were some of them, they range from like six to to ten. I think he has like uh, a five year old even. I maybe. And I, you had a huge table. Another thing was is that it was it was a uh, it was a game for eight players. You had thirteen. I had thirteen. Yes. Oh. And and because people kept coming up to you, little kids, little girls. Yeah. Came up to you and said, "Can I play?" And you like you couldn't say no. And I'm like, "You need to stop saying yes, Jolene, because you already have thirteen players." But I had. But the, are you counting the boys though? The boys were were helping. So. So the only pl- players in the game was Alan, Ian, not Ian, Alan, Augustine, and Blaine. They weren't players, though. They were right. They were just helping you out. Yeah. So that it worked out, though, because and it was it was a, a cool experience for the boys because it was the first time they were trying to explain to to little kids. little kids yeah. little kids because they were like thirteen or maybe no, they were like eleven. Eleven. Ten. They had more. been playing that for a couple of years by then, so they were very. They knew the rules. Oh, they well. knew the rules backwards and yeah. forwards, upside and down. And so when the little kid, they go, and each of them would say, what do you want to do? And then they would, we would like do it. And it was, and then the little kids would go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then they would roll the dice and, and they had a lot of fun. And the boys had a lot of fun explaining as much as they could and figuring out how to explain the game to, to, young to kids that had never, never played come across it and they all had fun and i one of the little girls i gave her my character she because she wanted to take it and i was like but this is i'm thinking this is my character how am i gonna play my character i had to go back and figure out and get a different that was hilarious but she wanted to take it she was like six and i wasn't gonna tell her no so yeah so that that is an interesting i forgot about that situation where those obviously those kids had never played any role-playing game and had definitely some of them couldn't read, wouldn't be able to read the rules and make no. They they were them. not. The boys were spaced out. Yes. throughout the table, and I remember Ian was having fun, Blaine was having fun, and Augustine and Alan were having. Well, I guess I don't know how much fun they were having, but they were explaining it to the kids that. I, I think they were arguing with you because they, they go they, they they would miss right yeah and then, and you were like you yelled not yelled at them but you told them just let them hit I'm like. I'm gonna go go get a snack. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I mean, it was obviously the all the kids because it was a Pathfinder for Kids game. Yeah, 
I don't think we knew how popular it would be because, well, our kids were playing, but they signed up and got in. But then all these other little kids uh, really wanted to play. And I think I think it was one of the few kid games. That there were not very many GMs for right. kids there, so. And so the the kids swarmed your table, and and it was a uh, it was pretty funny. It was neat, and it was neat for you. I thought it was neat to see you run that game because you were like kind of stressed out, but at the same time you seemed to be having a good time. So it was very simple too. So that's so kids are different, right, than adults. Right, because they can learning be excited rules. about stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I think that if you have people who are excited about something or very interested in something, then it's easier for you to try to get them to learn the rules. And I think the boys learned that day that when you're playing with little kids, like five and six year olds you definitely want them to have more fun than tell them oh you know you missed and if they do miss go okay you missed but you can try again next time right yeah they had to do that that whole uh what is it consoling the the player yeah that you're not always gonna hit or you're not always gonna be successful and i think that was pretty cool i mean that's a lesson a little five-year-old kid could learn easy and still have fun yeah and then they also discovered the the little kids discovered because I had suedo dragons and uh, and little I forget they were little fairies and things that yeah. were and he had pictures of which I really had cool. pictures of of them and they discovered that oh the magical creatures will help you if you <laughs> if you're nice to them which was like the boys are like going and to, and I remember kill them. <laughs> I remember Alan looking it up going suedo dragon oh they will help and he, and they were reading the book they're all oh. They will help you if you're nice to them. And then they, they like looked at each other and then they go, then they started telling the kids and it was like. Yeah, that was an interesting experience. And it was an interesting experience for you because it was one of the first times you are, you ran a game, I think. For that amount of, of people. Yeah. yeah. So, like I said, when I was running Space Opera, it was the only game in town. So people were forced by, my group was forced to learn the rules because I was, I want to play this game. So make characters. And it was arduous, right? That making a space opera character can take hours if you had never done it. It takes me about an hour to make a character easy, but because I I made so many characters in the past. But when you do run it for, or you haven't run it at a convention for a while, but when right. you used to run it at a convention, you already had the characters made. Oh, definitely. No, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make people roll the characters up at a convention. I would. I would do my standard. I'd put them into a folder colored folders and then put their names on the outside and I would have like 10 characters of, of which eight would be played. I think I've talked about how I basically run the games at conventions with with pre-made characters and stuff. It's just easier that way unless the, I think the only one that you've started letting people make characters for is Tales from the Loop because it's right. so easy to make a character. It's so easy. And I know that's another thing. It all, a lot depends on the difficulty or, or uh, how complex the rules are. Right. So when I want to run Tales from the Loop and my group and one of my groups, it wasn't that hard of a of a thing to for players to make characters. Right. Because that's one of the things is that sometimes we'll balk at making a, a playing a game because the character creation process could be very long or arduous. Right. And it totally depends on the game. And but even D&D or Pathfinder, I mean, they walk you through it literally walk you through it as you're going down the page and still you have to pick so many different things that it's like 
mind bending trying to what what do i want to do how do i want this character to be able to do this or and then you throw in feats and stuff like yeah. that same thing with with uh shadow run we played shadow run you have so many choices and so many decisions to make and because if you're unexperienced you can make a bad choice right take a skill that you doesn't match with or not take a skill or not take a skill that is critical to what you your character idea is and that comes from experience but but even then if you're not really into the rules and stuff like that you could make mistakes like that i would call them mistakes but you can make errors in not optimizing your character so much that's why I like tales from the loop and other games like uh well anything new zero makes the rules aren't so complex that you feel like you make a mistake when you make the character that oh it's going to be unplayable it's not going to do what you it's not going to be able to do the things that you want that character to do those are the most important rules that you need to know as a as a player and for your, for your character is how to play your character right and for D&D and Pathfinder even space opera uh not space opera space opera is just hard Shadowrun you need to know how the rules for your character you, right. you need to know how your gun fires what dice you roll what you can do right 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 you know there's all kinds of stuff uh, recoil do you have scopes what's the weather like and then playing a magic user or a mage in Shadowrun it's totally different a lot of it depends on line of sight and only that and then the decision is how much power do I want to power my spell with which is if you've never played in any kind of game or you've only played like D&D, it's very difficult to make that kind of decision because you got to play with the probabilities of being able to resist, uh, I don't know if it's not fade, but resist being overwhelmed by the magic that you're using. I think a lot of it, like I said before, you know, if, if I could use examples of, my, of what, how I've gotten people to play games that I wanted to play, there's like two different good examples. One was... Well, maybe I got a few more. One is like the One Ring. It was funny because I had the One Ring shortly. I didn't kickstart it or anything, but I had it shortly after it went to publish. And I didn't play it for like two, three years, possibly more. And then I had the great idea because I would find it every once in a while at, at gamers flea markets for real cheap. I mean, I actually bought a book, a slipcase rule set for 10 bucks because the person said he bought it. There was a couple, they had a production issues, right? The The pages were, the book would be falling apart a little bit. So they gave you a free version. They sent they just sent you another one. So the same thing happened to me. So I gave away those versions, right? I gave one to my brother. I gave one to Blaine. And I think I gave him one more, right? So they had the rules. And my hope was by this generosity that they would pick it up and look at the rules. And then when I said, hey, let's play the one ring, they would actually want to play. I think the only one that really looked at the rules was Blaine. And so when I ran the game, the first time I tried to run the game, Blaine played uh, a couple of few other players and the game fell apart. It just died. I did it again and uh, ran, ran, started a new campaign, new characters, and it died. Right. People just stopped playing. We stopped playing. And I was kind of bummed about it. And then, uh, Shannon, uh, me and Shannon were, or Shannon asked me about playing in a regular group. We started another group. Uh, there was another group, and I mentioned the One Ring, and they took to it like fish out, 
fish in water. I, I know it was really amazing because like Kawis was super excited about it because she loves Tolkien, right? Loves Tolkien. Bay, which I didn't know, even played role playing games. He goes, yeah, I really like that system. He goes, mm, you like this? Yeah, I own it. I'm like, all right. He was excited about running, playing in it. And then Shannon was kind of excited because he likes Tolkien. And Morgan was also interested in it. He was probably the least interested of all of them. But the first two people, uh, at, the, at maybe three, Shannon, Cowie, and Bay were like super excited because they were Tolkien fans. So then I'm like, then I felt a little bit intimidated because I'm like, oh, shit. They're, they know that they, they know are this genre. Tolkien fans, right? But it didn't matter because they were so excited to play. I, I don't know if I was a good DM or a good token GM, but I was able to run the, the game and they were very excited. And we kept playing. Bay decided, me and Bay decided to be co GM and we, we switched running the, the Darkling of the Mirkwood. And it was a lot of fun. And there was hardly any kind of like, well, that, those rules seem kind of complicated. Or it was like, okay, yeah, I'll make here's my character. Or, or you know, there were, some of them picked uh, characters from the back of the book, the pre-gens, but other people made them. Like, I made my own, and I believe uh, Bay made his own. I think Morgan and Cowie and Shannon, because they're very, like, time-committed, right? In certain sense, they're very busy, and they don't want to waste time making character if we're just going to play once and then stop playing. Right. But it turns out that we kept playing, and we only stopped playing because of the pandemic. Pandemic. In that situation, that same game, I tried to start a campaign three times, and two of them just died you know, quickly after I started the campaign. And and the third time was the charm, as they say, because everybody was much more interested in the in the world in the in the world of Tolkien, and were very excited to play in that world. Mm-hmm. So obviously, player interest in the game is important. So when you're looking at RPGs and you're as a GM, like let's say you're the GM for most of the time and you look at rule sets and you're looking at different games, different IPs, intellectual properties. Like for example, I have quite a few Modifius games, probably all of them. And <laughs> and there's like uh, Mutant Chronicles, there's uh, Conan, there's uh, Star Trek Adventures. Of those three, let's say I ask Jolene, which one would you rather play? Immediately, I'm pretty sure she would want to play Star Trek Adventures because she loves Star Trek in all its incarnations so far. And if I wanted to run a game of Star Trek Adventures at a convention, I would probably have absolutely no trouble filling that table and having a lot of people waiting in line. Never do. Right? So... It's because it's super popular and there's a lot of interest in that world, in that universe. If I pick Mutant Chronicles, I'm not sure how many people would be loving to play in my game or really excited. They might be interested in it, like, whoa, yeah, Mutant Chronicles, I've heard of that, maybe. But Star Trek Adventures, it's like, oh, yeah, Star Trek, boom, I'm there. That happens in your home games, too, when you have a home group and people have different interests and stuff maybe people don't like star trek in your group oh i'm star wars i rather play star wars why are we playing star trek event and and it's all about what they're interested in when you're looking at as a gm when you're looking at rule books and you're looking at what next what campaign you want to run next a lot of it depends on your players especially if you want your players to learn the rules which is you know it's not a small thing for to learn the rules depending on the game system right 
some systems are super easy. You don't have to worry about it. But Conan and Star Trek, they're a little bit more crunchy. They're a little bit more, there's a little bit, there's a little bit more stuff to learn about how to play the game. But if you like those genres, <laughs> then like it's Star, pretty. Star Trek, it's like not a problem. Not a problem at all to. I like both Star Trek the... and Conan. Yeah, yeah, of course. What about Mutant Chronicles? Um, never played that one. <laughs> they all use the same system, so it's kind of familiar. So that does help. That's why I believe OSR games are are very popular because they're they're an incarnation of D and D, right? Well, that's why the when they opened the license for what was it the original one was it three point five or three point zero three point zero and all all kinds of games came out because people knew the the system right so they just applied it to the the game same with the fifth, fifth edition yeah oh yeah because once the players know the rules for for one genre it's easy to port it into another one and i say that and it's truly not easy because there's differences in in the the games right but they have the basic knowledge down for what dice right. do i need to roll for the this the core mechanics yeah. there and it's and it's familiar yeah I think that goes a long way when you go from. It's like Modifius games. It's a it's a a two d twenty system, and so if you know, oh, I know what two d twenties. I roll two d twenties, right? Right, and then you kind of know the idea of successes, and if you get multiple successes more than you need, you can bank them for momentum, or you can use them up for extra damage or right. extra. What do you call it? Extra things that can happen in the game. And if you and if you like dice pool systems, like. Uh, most of the free league games yes. are dice pulls and and then there's shadow runs a dice pool system and then there's and then there's the percentile system right oh, yes. so like if you go from like playing d and d a fifth edition and you go to play call of Cthulhu, people might go whoa how does this work I mean just rolling percentile dice system might be something completely alien to them right especially for like d six dice pool systems mm-hmm. like uh tales from the loop to d and d where you're just rolling one d twenty yeah and maybe some other odd looking dice for damage if you go, oh you roll percentile dice oh what and how, how do how I do, do how, that? How does that work? And <laughs> I only have two dice. How do I get a hundred out of it? Having to ha- having played uh, space opera with percentile dice and uh, and charts, I, I learned about percentile dice that way. Yeah, but and Call of Cthulhu is a Call of Cthulhu. Big, yeah, I mean that that system's been around. What BRP they call it, basic role playing since well since Call of Cthulhu came out. Yeah, a long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> So can you make your players learn the system? Uh, it depends on your players. Right? Sometimes, like, and depending on what group, because I have multiple groups now. Uh, some older, My old group, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, after a while, they got tired of me buying new games. They're like, oh, my God, you got to learn a new system. Oh, my God, make new characters. And uh, And I... And back then, you couldn't go to a computer. You couldn't share the PDF with everybody. You right? couldn't do that. And it wasn't a computer program to spit out a character super fast. Star Trek Adventures has a character creation system. Uh, mm, uh, almost all the games have character that's creation That's what I'm saying. System. Yeah. And there's some that's not, right? Yeah. There's some that's so easy. There's some that you need a character creation system like uh, like Shadowrun, right? It makes it a lot easier. It does make it a lot easier. But at the same time, it seems like it seems... Oh, some of them are kind of buggy. Yeah. 
But I think there's so many decisions to make sometimes that that you get lost in translation. To, if I pick this, push this little button, and I choose D for this, I, I really don't know what's going on. But anyway, I remember the those times when I was trying to push a game on my players that they didn't really want to play. Space Opera was one I got lucky. They really liked it. Dark Conspiracy was another. Uh, they kind of liked that one, so they, we played that one. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, Hero. N- Got that game early on, early on, and none of them were interested. And none were interested, Felipe. And I think we probably played once, and that was it. Gamma World. I got that game. Never played it. Never played Gamma World, even though I read the rules and stuff like that. I just couldn't get my players to play it. And you know, and the and the, and the carnage continues after that with different games. But it's different, like when you when. I asked you to run Shadowrun, and you got the you got the books. One you got one off of eBay. The was it fifth edition? Yeah. But yeah. when you got it, there was no sixth edition yet. That's it was broken. It was the spine was broken or something. It got broken in transit. So you got the guy to. You said I'm not paying for this, and so I'm he not, sent you send another. Back to him. So so instead of that happening, they sent you another book. Yes. So Which then I, you you go okay. So you then you gave it to to Steve and the boys. And and the boys took to Shadowrun like was, they just they read that book backwards and forwards and and they knew the rules better than and they still do better than Saul yeah better than me. Say it. Well, it was weird about that that incident, right? And 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 that's one of the success stories that of having players learn the rules. I've done that before with the One Ring, right? Uh, giving the the rules sits away. I've done that with other games where I gave an extra book of. Uh, low fantasy gaming that kind of worked out too because yeah. we played that one uh me and mike and and felipe but what and we shared a pdf right uh oops, maybe i should have said that but anyway uh that does happen and and we played a little bit right but what was really really strange and really uh, exciting for me was Shadowrun because i had done that in the past i'd given even i'd even given steve i remember i gave steve d20 modern and we never played it. He never even looked at the rules, right? Never cracked the rule book. And I believe I, t- I took it back from him. <laughs> I think it's not my show. Because I, I opened it up and I'm like, you can hear that crack of the spine. Never been opened, right? And I'm like, what the hell? And so what happened was uh, Jolene was kind of interested in it. She saw, like I said, she saw that at, at, a, at, a, at a gamer flea market. And she goes, have you ever heard of this game? I go, oh, yeah, Shadowrun. I, have the first I don't believe I said, have you ever heard of this game? I said, don't you have this game on your shelf? Uh, uh, okay, I might remember it differently. And you were super excited about it because you had read the back of the book, uh, the core book, or the first yeah. book. And it was an older edition. I, I don't know what edition it was. It was like third or second edition. I'm like, oh, yeah. I go, I have. I think I have some of those books still. And then, yeah, I would. I think I would be interested in playing this one. I go, okay. And, it, you know, and the change and the rules have changed quite a bit from first and second edition to what is now fifth edition. So then I go, oh, let's play the latest edition. Well, might as well. So I looked it up and it had been, it had been a while since it was published, right? It was a, a good eight year old game by that point. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So I bought the book and then I got it, you know, so that happened. I gave a book away, not expecting anything to happen with that book, honestly, when I gave it to Steve and the boys. And then I showed the, the book to uh, Augustine about, and then he's like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then 
it was easy as pie for a GM. Next thing I know, they're talking about the characters. They're like, they're really excited about playing this game. I'm like, wow. It was like the easiest sell. If I was a car salesman, that would be me going, yes, the easiest car sale ever. And not only that, but they were playing with Jason, who in a different group. And I don't think they played that game, though. No, but, but Jason Jay, when, as soon as they said Shadowrun, he's like, I want to play. <laughs> and um, and he knew the rules backwards and yes, forwards. And so by the time you drop the game on a, on a New Year's Eve, okay, here, we're, we're going to play this game. There were characters made. Everybody had Chummer because that was the program at the time, and it's which still around. I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. It took me forever to figure. Well, there's out. A, a couple of glitches in it, but yeah. And the boys knew the rules backwards and forwards. They were so excited, and it just went from there. There was no trying to get your players to to learn the rules. The only ones that hadn't read them completely were or me and adult, Kathy, or the adults, because. We were. She was playing a technomancer, and I was playing a, a a magic user. And I was watching YouTube videos to try to explain the rules to me because I didn't understand what the what I was reading. Right, right. And then I was doing that too, too. Because when I got the book, I was reading it, going, "Oh my god, what did I get myself into?" Because it wasn't the D six dipole system that I remember from. There was no. The, everything was different. <laughs> for example, I was just like, "Oh my god." There's no target number. I was like, what happened to this game? And then it was so big. <laughs> but that's a success story. They don't come along very often for me. But where I just give a book away, it lights a fire in everybody in that household, right? Everybody, and then we play New Year's Eve. And I was like, oh, that's... And it was funny because we started around noon. Mm-hmm. And then around 5 o'clock, okay, well, let's you know, stop, break for lunch. And then you know, we'll do something else. They're like, no, let's keep playing. I'm like... <laughs> And I think we we did it was like an eight nine hour game. Yeah. So obviously, uh, it's that was easy, right? To get the players to learn the rules, and you know, just find something that lights the fire in your players. Barring that, make it simple for them to absorb the rules, learn the rules, and explain the rules in an easy way, and then learn as you go. Right. Mm-hmm. There was a very very good starter set for Edge of the Empire. Because the adventure, the first adventure, or the adventure that's in the book, it basically goes from, gives you the character, right? Mm-hmm. And then the first thing you do, you have to, like, hide. It tells you how, what what rule it is, and what character can do it in the book. And it goes, oh, you can try to hide. You roll these these dice. And, and then, so at every everything they did, because it was kind of like a railroad, right? Right. Well, uh, it was a, a starter adventure, so they're right. trying to teach you all the rules. Right, and and the character and the character sheets were really well made. Right, I mean they were, they had pitched had a nice picture on the front. They had all the information. So as you are going through the adventure, you're literally learning the rules of the game, which is what a starter set is supposed to be. D and D starter set. They have an adventure too, but it's not a well. It wasn't a very good one because at one point it's very railroady and very repetitive, mm-hmm. which I don't. I've never ran that. It's called the Mines of Falendiver or something like that, and uh, people didn't like that part of it. And a lot of people who were experienced GMs who thought it was kind of repetitive and well, yeah, but fun. but it, it was teaching the new players. Yeah, that's true. The but they said it was stuff. like. Okay, and Bandit's Attack, and Bandit's Attack. Yeah. Bandit's Attack. So they, a lot of people just skipped that whole part <laughs> and just got to the mine or something. I, like I said, I never played it or ran it, so I did have it somewhere because I did buy the starter set. Yeah. So find something that will light a fire in your player's interest, and it'll be much easier for them to get them to learn the rules. 
and help them to learn them as they go. I think the most important thing is as the player, yes, at least learn the rules for your character. Yes. Like if you're a fighter, learn what you, what can, you can do, do. Yeah. and how you do it, what right. you roll and that kind of thing. That way, when it comes to your turn, when the GM looks at you and goes, and what are you going to do? You don't have to go, well, what does my character do? What can, <laughs> what I, what do? can I do? And even then, that's not a terrible question. Like, not when you're learning. But at the very least, when the GM says, well, you could you could fight or you can try to hide, know how you can. How that those, works. Yeah, right. know how those. And that makes the game run easier. I think uh, role-playing games, some of them are very difficult to learn and very it can be very intimidating. So I can see why people don't want to read 20 pages of rules to play a game that they may or may not have fun with. It's easier for them to, to learn it as they're playing it. Right. Just because... That 20 pages could be confusing, but when when you're sitting around the table and someone says, what are you going to do? And this is how you tell right. me what you want to do, and I'll tell you how to do it. So that way you can learn. Right. Yeah. I've, I've done the, the character, uh, not character, but the rules, summary sheets and stuff like that. And you can download a lot of, if you don't want to make your own, there's plenty, almost every rule set. They call them cheat sheets. Cheat sheets. Cheat sheets for almost any game out there. Even the most obscure game is somebody's worked on it and shared it. It's out there in the internet. So there you go. Hopefully you'll help your players learn the rules. Yes. And not just expect them to read all the book. Right. The whole book at one time. Not going to happen. <laughs> Except Shadowrun. <laughs> so this is Gaming Perspectives with Saul, Angeline. And you have a good day.